Good morning, King's Church, Kingston. Hope you're doing well. If you're a visitor here, having logged in to church in your home, hope you're having a good morning with us. It's great to have you with us. Today, I have the privilege of continuing our preaching series from the Book of Philippians, a series entitled Inspiration and Isolation. It was a book the Apostle Paul wrote whilst under house arrest in lockdown in Rome around AD 62. He wrote it to a church in Philippi, that's in modern day Greece, that he had formed some 10 years earlier. If you have a Bible with you, can you turn to Philippians chapter 1? We'll be reading from verse 18 and we'll be looking at verses 18 to 26. Uh, if you're interested, you can click on the notes tab on the right hand side just above the chat and that will give you the verses. I'm going to talk about a few quotes and a bit of a detailed uh, plan about where the talk's going. But what I found so striking as I've been preparing this talk this week and looking at this passage and mining its depths is how even though it was written 2000 years ago to a people in a different country with different language, different cultural expectations, it profoundly speaks into our situation. In 2005, Sophie and I spent a year in South Africa, just outside Cape Town in a place called Somerset West. We were serving a church and each week we went a few times to a small township nestled between a motorway and a gated community for the rich called Chris Nissen. There are about a thousand people living there. Now in the UK, the AIDS crisis was under control, but in South Africa, infection rates and AIDS related deaths were soaring, particularly in township areas. In 2005, while we were there, 30 people from that community of a thousand people died from AIDS related deaths, many of them in their 30s and 40s, leaving behind young children. It was tragic. And we became so used to attending funerals. There'd be an open casket. People would be openly weeping, expressing their grief and pain and saying their goodbyes. They'd get a little ball of cotton wool and place it uh, by the head of the deceased person in the casket. But death was not hidden, but was an aspect of life in that community for all people. Whilst living in Turkey, our neighbour died. On the day of his death, we gathered with him and some 30 other neighbours to mourn his passing. The family, the next day I went to the funeral at the mosque and then the family had 40 days of mourning following his death. And we met them at several times during that period. There was no escaping from a period of mourning and grief. And that was so different to my experience of growing up in the UK. Both my grandfathers died when I was about eight years old. My sister and I didn't attend the funerals. We were sheltered from such open mourning. In fact, I didn't attend a funeral for a close friend or a relative until I entered adulthood. In my upbringing, death was far more hidden and less talked about than either my time in Turkey or when I was in South Africa. Now, different cultures have different customs and practices. And my point is not to critique them and say, this one's good, this one's bad but to highlight the differences and how actually we encounter and face death differently. And at this time of national and international catastrophe, because so many people are dying earlier than we expect them to be. In this coronavirus pandemic, we're forced to confront death. It's forcing us to think about death and face our mortality in a way that we seldom do. The reality is, whether in our culture we talk openly about death or not, death is an inevitability for all of us. It's a certain fact. 
As Robert Louis Stevenson said, old and young, we are all on our last cruise. Or Jim Morrison of the Doors, no one gets out of here alive. Steve Jobs once said, remembering that you're going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. You know, I wouldn't express it like that. But thinking about our mortality gives us clarity for living well and dying well. And in this time, when we're more aware of our mortality, the Apostle Paul speaks to us about life and death with words of hope and power. You see, Paul's under house arrest, has been for some time and is awaiting his trial. If he's found guilty of treason against Rome, he's likely to be executed. So Paul is potentially facing his imminent execution. And in these verses, in a very personal manner, he reflects on his life and his potential death. So let's read from verse 18. Paul says this. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labour for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So Paul's reflecting on his upcoming trial. It's clear his expectation is that he will be released, but there's no guarantee. And whilst he's being there isolated under house arrest, it's clear that he's thought clearly about his life and death. And he has clarity and confidence about the outcome. He's already written to Philippians and encouraged them in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 saying, God who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion. He knows that his life and his death is in God's hands and his days are numbered by him. And so Paul looks at the hardships he's facing, the unknowns, and he tells them in verse 19 that through their prayers, through the help of God's Holy Spirit, his expectation is he will be courageous at this time that he won't be ashamed of the gospel and that God will be honoured in his body, whether he lives or whether he dies. The literal translation of the Greek is perhaps even more striking. Paul says his goal in life or in death is that Christ will be enlarged in his body. You see, for Paul, the central gravity of his life is living for Jesus. His life is centred on living for Jesus and for knowing him. In Philippians chapter three, two chapters later, Paul writes, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. It's this central focus and this single-mindedness that is in mind as Paul looks at his life and death. Paul looks back on the last 25 years of following Jesus and he says, now as always, my expectation is that Christ will be honoured in my body.
And Paul then reflects on the two options open to him, the option of life or death. And he says, actually, it's a win-win. In verse 21, Paul says, for me to live is Christ. For me to die is gain. Or as the message translation puts it, life versus even more life. I can't lose. But Paul continues as if he can choose the outcome, as if he can make a choice. And he kind of wrestles and says, well, which one is better? And he says, well, if I'm going to continue living, it means living for Jesus in fruitful labour. Paul continues in verse 24 that for the sake of the Philippians, for, for their account, it's better if he's released so he can labour among them for their progress and their joy in the faith. I love that definition of what it means to grow as a follower of Jesus or encouraging a fellow Christian in their pursuit of Jesus to, to progress in joy and progress in the faith. What a great thing. So Paul unpacks that more in the letter, but he's not directing people towards dry religion, but towards pursuing love, a greater love knowing and delighting Jesus and a greater love for others, which results in putting people, other people's needs before our own, doing everything without complaining and arguing and looking forward to our future hope of being with Christ forever. And moreover, Paul says this, this isn't some kind of stoic duty, but actually it's a path of maximum joy. And if you're a follower of Jesus today, you need to know that as you're living, God's just not called you to existence, to be. You're called to live for Christ. You're called to centre your life on loving him and knowing him above all else. And moreover, Paul says, you know what, if you're living for him, you can expect fruitful labour. To live is Christ, Paul says. And in the letter for Ephesians, Paul writes that we're saved in order to do the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. To live is Christ. Jesus spoke to his disciples in the Sermon of the Mount and said, you're the light of the world. You see, God's called you to do good works, for you to love others well, to share with others the hope you have found in Jesus and to help our brothers and sisters who follow Jesus to progress and find joy in their faith. To live is Christ. We need to remember this on Monday morning. For me, it may be helping a child homeschooling who's a bit reluctant. For you, it may be whilst working in a hospital or a supermarket or whilst praying at home. But whatever we're doing, he's to be the centre of it all. Paul's expectation is that he will live. Yet as Paul considers the two options, he says, but death is gain. Now, Paul doesn't have some morbid death wish. Certainly there's uncertainty. He's known separation from friends, shipwrecks, stonings, beatings, all because of his faith. But he doesn't just want to escape the difficulties. Here's the deal. Paul's whole life has been centred on Jesus. For Paul, he considers everything rubbish compared to knowing Christ Jesus. And he says this, my desire is to depart, to die and be with Christ, for that is far better. And the key words are this, be with Christ. Paul's whole focus in living is to know Jesus. And in death, he knows that he will be with Christ forever. And as Paul says, for him, that's better than anything else. It's far better. And if you have put your faith in Jesus as Lord and Saviour, death isn't to be feared. On dying, you will be with Jesus, your King, in his presence.
And that's better than anything that this world can offer. As C.S. Lewis wrote in the Narnia books describing this, the term is over, the holidays have begun, the dream is ended, this is the morning. Paul longed for that day of being with Christ and that was his preference. But he knew that for the sake of the Philippians, it would be good for him to continue to be with them, serving them for their progress and joy in the faith. Brothers and sisters, if you follow Jesus, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Last Sunday, I heard that Peter Holmes, the vicar of St Peter's Norberton, who established the Joel community, died from the coronavirus after having battled with it for a month. His last WhatsApp message to his wife and his four children said this, love each other, love God, run for Jesus. Whichever way this goes, I love you all. You know, it's right to grieve with Peter's family. We grieve with those who grieve and mourn with those who mourn. However, we grieve with hope, knowing that Peter is with Christ in his presence. Death has lost its sting. Now, don't we all want what Peter Holmes had? Don't we want to have that confidence and poise when we're facing death? Hope for our families and loved ones. Now, you may be listening today and you may not believe. You may just be exploring the Christian faith and going, I'm not sure what I think about this. You may be sceptical and just think, you know what, this is a fairy tale. It's just too good to be true. But what if? What if it is true? What if the reason we have such longings in our hearts is because God's placed them there? At least it deserves investigating, doesn't it? You see, Paul was writing as a Christ follower about a Christian's hope in life and death. This hope in life and death is for those who've put their faith in trust in Jesus as Lord and Saviour. However, the invitation is for all and is extended to you if you're here today, you too can find this hope in life and this certainty and hope in death. At the end of Luke's Gospel in chapter 23, we read the story of Jesus' crucifixion. He's been flogged, beaten, now he's crucified between two criminals. One of the criminals is hurling insults at him, but the other one stops the person hurling insults and said, Don't you fear God? We're being punished for crimes we've committed. We deserve to die, but this man has done nothing wrong. Later, that same criminal turned to Jesus and said, remember me. Remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus replied to him that just then, today you will be with me in paradise. You know what, this story is a scandal. The criminal lived a bad life, he knows he's done wrong, and according to the law, he, know he, he knows he deserves to be killed by crucifixion. You know what, time's running out for him. He can't start living a good life, he can't turn over a new leaf. He's got hours before he dies. He looks at his own life and he recognises he's done wrong. He then looks at Jesus and he realises that this man's done nothing wrong. More than that, in spite of his blood-marred body, in spite of Jesus being crucified in nakedness, he recognises that this man, Jesus, is a king with a kingdom. Kind of his eyes are opened. He has a revelation about that. 
And he turns and does the only thing he can do and cries out for mercy and says, remember me as you enter your kingdom. He's got nothing to offer. He just cries out, remember me. And then Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. The story is a picture of the scandal of the Christian gospel and the gift of salvation. You see, all of us are like that criminal. We've all done wrong and are separated from God because of the wrong things we've done. And unless Jesus rescues us, we will remain separated. Now, the reality is lots of you listening today will get maybe thinking, yeah, but I'm not like that criminal on the cross. I'm a good person. And you know what? Compared to him, you may be. But when we examine our hearts and we see our tendency to selfishness and anger, envy and pride and compare ourselves to the pure, spotless perfection of Jesus, the one who never sinned, we realise that we have all fallen short of God's moral standards of goodness and his holiness. Secondly, that criminal couldn't save himself. And actually, the Bible teaches us that we, by even by our good deeds, can't save ourselves. We need to be rescued too. Now, there were two criminals there that day, weren't there? One of them held abuse at Jesus, called him to account almost. While the other one, he cried out to Jesus in repentance and faith. He recognised he had done wrong and then he said, remember me. And actually we can respond like that criminal. We can cry out to Jesus in repentance and faith. What that means by turning away from our sins and putting our faith in Jesus, Lord and Saviour. And the Bible tells us that we, if we do that, we will know Jesus' words. You will be with me in paradise. More than that, we will be able to start living with him, living for Christ now until our death, knowing him. That's a scandal and the wonder of the gospel. Salvation's a free gift we don't deserve, but is received through what Jesus has won in his death and resurrection. And we receive it through repentance and faith. Now, if you're exploring the Christian faith, really, what's the next steps for you? For some of you, you may have been exploring the Christian faith for a long time, and actually, you know it's true. You believe Jesus is Lord and Saviour. And it's time for you, like that criminal on the cross, to come to Jesus in repentance and faith and find salvation. And if you want to do that today, you can click on the salvation button. Someone from the prayer team will be able to chat with you, pray with you, help you respond to the gospel message. Some of you, the next step may be to go to our church homepage and click on the Alpha course. So you're not ready to make a commitment to Jesus, but you can explore the Christian faith, find out more about it. The Alpha course, there's a banner on the front homepage, is a great way to explore the Christian faith and ask your questions and see what Christianity is all about. Alternatively, you may be sceptical and just think, you know what, this is a pipe dream, it's not true, uh, and you want to reject it. Let me encourage you to go to our homepage, click on the sceptical banner at the top. And there are loads of resources there dealing with common objections people have, people from London have about the Christian faith. And you can look at those. But let me encourage you, when Paul writes about hope in this life and hope in the next, that invitation is extended to you if you come to Jesus. At least it's worth exploring, isn't it? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that the gospel gives hope and purpose in this life to live for you. 
and it gives us confidence and takes away our fear in death. Lord Jesus, I want to pray for those who are exploring the Christian faith at this time. Please, would you reveal yourself to them? Thank you for what you've done through your death and resurrection to make a way of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond now by coming and worshipping Jesus, the way maker, the one who's made a way for us to live with confidence in this life and with purpose and also to face death without fear in